This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Well, welcome back to Everyone Talks to Liz. Hi, you guys. So happy to speak with you once again. You know what? I have one word for you because it was so huge last week and it has been massive this entire year of trading and quite frankly, through the pandemic, Robinhood, right? The free online trading app has been the platform of choice for stock trading for the meme stock, Reddit room, Wall Street bets crowd. And it's really shown the power of the retail or individual trader. But when it itself went public last week, it was not a good IPO or initial public offering. In fact, it fell its first day of trade. It fell its second day of trade, and it's still not trading above its initial price of $38 a share. So what happened? And what about this mysterious world of IPOs? Well, I thought, let me bring in my BFF, Charlie Gasparino, from Fox Business, superstar who really understands the entire picture there. And let me hear from you, Charlie. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz again about what you think A, went one on with Robinhood and B, why don't super hot chatter about IPOs? Why don't they soar every time? Well, you know, nothing's supposed to happen every time. And, you know, remember Facebook's, was it, yeah, Facebook's IPO kind of flopped initially, right? They had a bad IPO open. Um, here's what I would say about these IPOs, though. Um, they were heavily touted. And, you know, they showed, it's, it's Robin Hood, and it's the other one we did today, um, the, the Soho oh. House IPO, um, MCG, I think it's under the, uh, the stock symbol. Um, you know, it shows the limits of retail. On both of those IPOs, they opened up retail investors. They opened up a chunk of it to retail investors. They did that as institutions were, were kind of backing off and were worried about the valuation. When you say and, institutions, you're meaning the Goldman Sachs of the world. And the no, 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 no. Those are the underwriters. I mean, the Fidelities, the the, the, big, the big pension funds, the big buy side players that generally you want to most, you know, you want most of your IPO to go to the, the large institutions. Usually, you know, both of these had like a huge retail component, 20, 35 percent in the uh, in the um, in the case of Robinhood. They, they left the open 35 percent. Usually it's one percent. It's a sliver. And you basically place most of the stock with professional traders who then do flip it. Some retail gets it. And on top of that, you know, you mostly want to put it with institutions that are going to hold it for the long haul, ride out the ups and downs of the stock. Uh, they didn't do that in this in this case, in both of these. Uh, Robinhood heavily marketed their IPO to their, their clients that use the app. Um, Soho House, MCG, heavily, from what I understand, marketed to uh, its clients, you know, the people that, that belong to Soho House and the other properties. Um, and you have to ask yourself, why did they do that? Now, both would say, well, we want to democratize uh, the stock market in terms of Robinhood. Um, so House would say, oh, we want our clients to benefit and be part of, you know, you know, have some skin, maybe have some skin in the game in mm -hmm. our success. I get all that. 
But we should point out that in both cases, as they opened it up majorly to retail, it was the institutions that were worried about the valuation and backed off. Now, in the case of Robinhood, there's been stories out there that one of the problems was that it couldn't sell to, it had some issues selling to, to retail. I am telling you, that they had issues selling to retail because they were trying to sell so much of it to retail. Mm -hmm. They actually ended up selling almost, from what I understand, 20% to retail. You have to check those numbers, but a huge chunk went still went to retail. And it went to retail at a time when the institutions were backing off. Same thing with the Soho House. Why are institutions backing off of both of those? They're worried about the valuations. Even as they priced, both of those companies priced at the low end of the IPO range. Robinhood, it was 38. Soho House, it was 14. And the reason why they're both losing money, they both, they both, listen, they both are, are getting tremendous user growth, but there is, there's issues that are unique to both that investors have balked at. In terms of Robinhood, the, what investors said, quite frankly, the large investors, it's a one trick pony. If we ever have a market downturn, if the Fed raises rates and people stop trading all those meme stocks, they don't have much buffer. They only they don't have a diversified business model. Mm -hmm. um, in in the in so so they may have ramping up user growth, but you know if you look at Charles Schwab, you look at E Trade, both have commercial banks that do pretty well. Commercial banks actually right. usually outperform the market when rates in a, in a rising interest rate environment. Soho House, on the other hand, is you know you just listen. It, it, what what is the appetite for people to join clubs? Uh, they got crushed in 2000 and 2020 because of COVID. Obviously, people are going back to normal now or some semblance of normal. But, you know, even those places, you know, you got to, you, you know, it's it's it, is it a sustainable business model and is it worth its current valuation? So I would say in institutional investors, as always, sniff this out. Mm -hmm. And it's the retail guys that may be holding the bag on this. Well, you know, you look at Robin Hood and. Everyone thought that Robinhood would be the hot IPO. On Thursday, when it went public, and they're all cheering at the NASDAQ, and I mean, listen, they have upended the industry. They've gotten a ton of attention, a ton of investment. It was a flop. I'm sorry, there's no other way to describe that. That doesn't necessarily portend a flop of a company in the future. I mean, you look at Facebook, and, and this is more to the question of IPOs overall. When Facebook went public in May of 2012, it flopped as well for a whole bunch of different reasons. But look at Facebook today. So in a way, people shouldn't fear that happening. But isn't the old adage, don't buy a stock on the very first day it goes public? You know, yeah. I mean, here's what I would say. Uh, you have to believe in management you have to believe that management will grow the company. Uh, Facebook was a great concept on itself. But remember, until they brought Sheryl Sandberg in and she found different alternative. Uh, remember, it's not just Facebook. Facebook has different. Diff I mean, they have mobile apps. They have it, it's it's they come at you and they take your data and squeeze the data and, and use your data and make money out of it. 40 different ways. They figured out how to diversify their business model from just a social network. Robinhood has to do that as well. 
Are they articulating that as well? I don't think so. I don't think investors bought it. They have to do different things than just be a trading platform. Because when, when rates rise and when we do have a bear market, you know, there's a reason why Goldman Sachs makes money in a higher interest rate environment. I mean, they do. They know how to make money. They have a bank. You know, they have other things. They, they, they are. They, Robin Hood is a one trick pony and it needs to use this IPO to become a three trick pony. And the question is, do investors believe they're going to do that? Do they have a coherent plan to do that? And a lot of investors didn't think they did when they listened well, remember, to the show. Remember the dot-com bubble bursting. I remember this very well, so do yeah. you. And what happened was everybody who had rushed in to buy names like eToys and UBID and who knows what else, Right. They froze in place and they stopped trading. Volume collapsed. Trading volume went so low. And for the next, I want to say till 2005, five years, the markets just kind of bounced around and did nothing until the housing bubble. And so I think that people have to understand when they look at buying into brokerages, unless it is a multiple trick pony like a Schwab (laughs) or, or a TD Ameritrade, which can afford to kind of chill out a little bit because it was bought by Morgan Stanley, then I think- GD was bought by Schwab, Morgan Stanley bought E-Trade. Okay, sorry about that, E-Trade, that's right. See, I get confused by- It's it's the same, you're making the same point, it doesn't matter, I'm just telling you. Right, I know what you're saying. The point point being that, you know, Robinhood has to be careful, Robinhood investors, I should say, have to be careful because you have to plan for the worst case scenario. What if everyone stops trading or gets scared? You know what's great? Look at a stock chart of Amazon and then plot through that stock chart how Jeff Bezos changed the company. Remember, initially it was a bookseller, right? And then it then it became this. And then it started, you can buy that. And then you can Boys buy this. And clothes and everything. Now you can buy everything and watch movies. And you watch the stock chart. It was kind of dead money for a long time through the financial crisis, uh, through the dot-com bubble bursting. And then it started going up and then it went nuts because Jeff Bezos, you know, you know, he basically innovated the company into something bigger and better. But they lost money for years. So you had to take. Yeah, a they did. And by the way, investors, it. investors gave them cut them a break and let them lose money because you know why they, they had a lot of free cash flow because he was plowing it back in the business and investors liked what they saw in terms of the metrics. They knew it would pay off someday. Uh, Facebook, the same thing. Well, I don't know if they, I don't think they were losing money right off the bat, but Facebook, remember it was a one trick pony, theoretically just a social network. And then Sheryl Sandberg comes in and figures out how to, how to just squeeze so much, so much money out of all the little things they do with data collection. And that becomes, and that grows. You have to sell that story to investors. Mark Zuckerberg really couldn't sell that at first. Sheryl Sandberg sold it and, and did it. She's a, I'm, I'm telling you, she's an amazing businesswoman if you look yeah. at what happened there. Yeah. Um, the question is, will, can Vlad Tenov do that? And does he, or does he need someone like Sheryl Sandberg to come in and do it for him? They do want to expand to crypto trading and they want to have wallets and they want to give advice. But listen, Schwab does. Schwab gives advice and education. So does Ameritrade. So as you look forward, you know, it's interesting to question what makes investors get excited about an IPO? Traeger, like I guarantee a lot of our listeners right now have not heard of this, but those who have understand they are a wood pellet grilling, smoking 
type of grill. Oh, yeah, no, I know about it because I it listen to Joe Rogan. On the same day as as Robin Hood, and they went crazy. They were up 22%. Well, you know why? You know why, I think? What? Joe Rogan is so super popular right now. The pod, the, the podcast guy and the comedian and the MMA, uh, the MMA yep. color, color guy, he is, he, that's one of his advertisings. So he promotes them constantly. See, that's I so think, interesting. I did. I not think there's a Rogan that. effect on on the Traeger grill. I know this because I listen to Joe Rogan all the time, and he's always uh, talking about the Traeger grill with the little pellets, right? They yes. have the pellets, yes. and, and apparently it works brisket really well. And ribs and all of that, and so Weber Grill is going public this week. I'll be very interested to see how that one does. But you talk about one trick ponies. I mean, okay, they make grills. What's next? You have to well, be careful. They have a, they have a, that, that's a very narrow business, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they they made a better grill than someone else, or and and I don't know if, what type of valuation do they have. I I didn't check out the IPO. Couple billion, yeah, but it's not a thirty billion a, no valuation, right? So Robinhood got a thirty billion dollar valuation. That's a big valuation. So to justify that, you know, you got to come up, you got to have a CEO that sells it, and um, he didn't sell it good enough to enough institutional investors. And that's why you say that. Well, listen, he may, there's been a big buyer of it. Who's the one that buyer bought it recently? Oh, Kathy Wood of Ark Investments. That's right. I, I, I she escaped she my mind. Five million shares now, but let's, let's remember that there is the regulatory overhang that maybe Gary Gensler of the SEC may wake up and say, you know what? I, I don't like this, the way they make most of their revenue, which is a kind of a wonky thing called payment for payment order for order flow. flow. Right. I wrote about that this weekend in the post. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of problems with their business model. They have to change it. It, it has to, listen. Schwab does payment for order flow, but we're not we're not you know when when there's a crisis of payment for order flow, you don't you know people aren't selling shares of, of Schwab because they do a bunch of other things. They have advice. They have um, financial advisors. You know those independent financial advisors that are part of their package. I mean, it's a big diversified company doing a lot of different things. Robinhood has got to go there. Now, whether Ten of Glad sold it is another story. I don't think he'd sold it very well. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listen Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you think the SPAC world, these special purpose acquisition companies where they find a target and then they reverse merge... Uh, do you think, and this is how space, this is how Virgin Galactic went public, and this is how a lot of these companies are doing it. Do you think this fad, is it a fad or do you think it dies down and people go back to the traditional IPO model? I, I don't know. I, I mean, there's obviously some benefits to this thing. 
or else people wouldn't do it. So I think it'll, it has some life to it, but uh, you know, I, you know, I'm just saying why, so really what a SPAC is, is a big publicly traded conglomerate, right? Mm-hmm. You buy, you're buying, you know, SPAC buys different businesses. The con- you put it all together. It's run by one, it's run by different managements answering to the guys who own the SPAC, right? right. And now do you believe, now have conglomerates, historically done well i mean ge hasn't you know i, I mean not the way you know do these i mean and, then, and can you synergize these companies and it's 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 uh, I, I don't know i mean i think it there's there's clearly in my view my mind questions about the model um and just the fact that anything that happens now you're questioning because we're in this like never never land of fed zero percent interest rates you know printing money and whenever that happens, there's always going to be huge degrees of froth and, and BS. And, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, so it's hard to trust. I think that's part of it. It's hard to trust anything right now. But, you know, even like people will say Tesla is great. Now, they actually have a real product, Tesla. That's pretty good, right? Um, but even that, the valuation, is it worth what it's trading at? Right. And, you know, it's just, it, it, goes, it goes down the line. There's a lot of froth in this market. And, you know, I can't tell you when her changes, but I, you know, I used to, I read a lot of, I read one of George Soros's books, um, The Mind of the Market, I think it's called. Um, it's a brilliant analysis of herd, um, herd movements. And, yeah. and, you know, when the herd changes, it yeah. changes violently, by the way, on the downside. Well, the madness of crowds. Yes. Well, that, that's, you know, it's being, that's why, you know, George Soros, you know, people know him as a, <clears throat> as a liberal political guy. He's actually a brilliant investor and a brilliant guy on the, on the, on the mechanics of the markets and how crowd behavior works and how people dive into stocks and why, and the inflection points, the book goes through it. I mean, I'm, I'm giving you really the very high end, not high level, not high, high I'm giving you the 30,000 feet cliff note version of, and not very high level, but it's a brilliant book. I, I suggest you read it, but you know, it gets you when you read it, you see like what's going on now and you see like how the crowd is always one way. And then there's something, I don't know what it is. Just something turns it. And it, you know, who, who knows what it could be. And then it goes the other way. I always liken it to a flock of birds in the sky and you'll be watching this flock of birds, whether it's a flick of a feather on one of them or a fly, they all turn and go in a completely opposite direction You'll get stampeded if you're not careful, and that is the herd mentality of the market. Yeah, and is and along the way, there's little warning signs. And the question is, is the warning sign right now these two IPOs that, that we were talking about, particularly Robinhood, is that the warning sign that this thing is way overvalued? That in things need to come back to earth. That you know we we have inflation coming. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, here's why raising interest rates, you know, impacts the markets. If you believe there's inflation and that's a huge tax on working class and poor people, you you, you can't have it and maintain cohesive society because you know, working class people, you know, they may get $5 extra in their pay, but food costs $20 more. And it, it's, it's, a, it's, a sure, it's, it's, a, it's a sure way to, to seed social unrest. It always has whether it's been here or in Germany during the Weimar Republic times, you know, you know, all the stories, um, you know, you can't have that. So the fed's going to probably stop that. If it, if it keeps persisting by raising they, rates. 
and slowing down the economy mm-hmm. and then the markets go down. And that's where, that's where the froth comes out. So just remember, um, I'm not saying they are going to do that. You know, he keeps saying he, meaning Jerome Powell keeps saying he's not going to do it until 2023. But you know, if you start getting massive inflation, you have no choice. Let's do some navel gazing here. You were just on vacation. What do people say about the claim and countdown, the show that you and I do every single day together? Love it. I uh, got nothing but positive praise for you. You're, you know, you're a pro, they say. They love our our, our jousting. So <laughs> for those of you guys who don't know, it's worth it because we always kind of do a brother sister fight. Yeah, it's I told them it's all real. We hate each other um, like brothers and sisters. Generally. And, uh, you know, they just listen. One thing I think we bring to the table is we bring our we're real. We try to be real. All right. We're not like reading off of scripts. Um, I mean, you ad lib 90 percent of your stuff. You can ad lib anything. Um, I don't read a script. You know, I read notes, maybe. But so we bring reality to we, we, we bring it real. And I think they yeah. I think people like that. And, Definitely you know, listen, we call them as we see them. That doesn't mean. You're always going to agree with us. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't care if you agree with me or not. But I'm just going to tell you what I hear and what I think. And if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll admit that I'm wrong. Well, but your reporting, you know, expertise goes back decades and decades. And uh, yeah, make me older than guys, I am. nobody's better than Charlie. So I'm honored. Make me you're... older than what I am, Liz. Decades, decades, decades. Listen, I'm right behind you. I think both Charlie and I were completely freaked out when we first got the AARP cards in the mail. Yes. You were first, you said, Jesus, Liz, I got the AARP thing. <laughs> and then like two months later, I got it. I'm thinking, I- you know, when I was really freaked out, when my new producer told me, like her father works in the business, Ellie Terrett. And uh, I said, well, how old is he, by the way? And he's younger than me. <laughs> yeah, well, it used to be the Playmate Centerfolds were born in the 80s. Oh boy. Now we're, yeah, now we've got team members who were born in like late nineties of coming on the show. It's incredible. Charlie, thank you so much. Anytime Liz, my pleasure. Charlie Gasparino and you guys, it's must see TV. And I'm not just saying that Monday through Friday, 3 PM Eastern, the claim and countdown. And I won't say his name, but one of our top competitors over at CNBC once told me he every day tunes in just to see the Charlie Liz dynamic. So that oh, I know who that is. <laughs> I won't say his name either. Hey, listen, thanks a lot, Charlie. We'll see you next time. You got it, Lizzie. Bye. Thanks, everybody. And uh, always tune in. It means so much to me that you're listening to Everyone Talks with Liz. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 